How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you on this uh, first Sunday in December, Baptism Sunday. Today we are starting a new series, and it's called After Party. We're going to be talking about uh, the Christmas story and Christmas celebration. And um, in starting this idea of after party, our world throws a lot of parties for things that don't really matter. Uh, That's really true. And I think we come to these parties not because we want to pretend like something matters that doesn't really matter. I think we come because we want something to celebrate. We want a reason to celebrate. There's something in the human spirit. There's something in every single one of us that's hardwired in as human beings that we want to celebrate. We want to, you know, root for the underdog, to believe it can happen against all odds. You see this most uh, often in the world of sports. Um, This past year in 2016, how many of you remember this moment right here? Remember this uh, historic moment? Uh, 1908 was the last time the Cubs had won won a World Series. And then 100 years, 108 years, I guess it was later, in 2016, this moment, they finally win a World Series. And people just go crazy. Tickets for these last couple games in the World Series, people were paying hundreds of dollars, even thousands of dollars, to go and actually be there Uh, for these games and part of the celebration as these guys won. And people who I I assume were not Cubs fans at any other time in their lives, but all of a sudden they're they're Cubs fans, right? Because there's something about the celebration that we want to be part of. 2016 was a big year. This also happened. Remember this moment. Uh, The Cavs, Cleveland Cavaliers come back. Uh, You remember this and and win a game seven in the NBA finals against the team that was at that time, um, the Golden State Warriors, the winningest team, they had the, the best record, 73 wins in a regular season of any team ever. You talk about David and Goliath, and these guys came back in a game seven and won, and people went crazy. The same thing, everybody wanted to be a part of these celebrations. People were paying ridiculous amounts of money to come and to be a part of the celebration that was happening on these games. And we know a loud celebrating crowd, in the world of sports anyway, makes a difference. It actually has an impact. This is why people know it's easier to win home games, right? And the reason is because you have this loud celebrating crowd and they have an effect. The crowd actually has an effect and an impact on the outcome of the game. And so celebration is something we want to be a part of. We're hungry for it. We look for it. And I love it because celebration is such a huge part of the Christmas story. You you may not have noticed it before, but The call to celebrate and the reason to celebrate is actually a huge part of the story. So I want to take you to Luke chapter 2 in the Bible. Um, There are four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And uh, you're probably familiar, you're probably most familiar when it comes to the Christmas story with the one that's in Luke. So this is right after Mary has given birth to Jesus. And uh, this is, these are the first people that hear about the birth of Jesus. Luke 2 verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. It's a great story, isn't it? We've heard it. Even if you didn't grow up in church, I bet you've heard that, those verses. You've heard that story. Uh, by the way, does anybody ever wonder what happened to the sheep whenever you read that story? Am I the only one that wonders that? It's like literally they just leave to go, like they're shepherds. There are sheep there. What, what did the sheep do? 
Um, I don't know. That never, that never gets addressed in the Bible. Um, but the shepherds, they hear the news from the angels, and with that, they're off to chase the baby. With that, they're off to attend the after party of the event of Jesus' birth and just and, and celebrate and just worship the baby. And that's what, they're, that's what they're called to do. Now, what's interesting to me about that is that they really have no promise that anything is going to get better in their lives. So, so why do they leave their paying jobs? Why do they literally abandon their post when the angels appear and go celebrate the baby? Why do, why do they do it? If you think about the actual announcement that the angels made in that moment, Jesus' birth is not announced as good answers, right? They say, hey, today in the town of David, good answers ha- have been born to you. Answers uh, resolve questions that we have, right? It's not like the shepherds went to see baby Jesus and they went, oh, now I get it. All the mysteries of the universe suddenly have been solved for me. All these things that have happened to me in my life that don't make sense, all these circumstances, I just go, where was God? Why was he doing this? Suddenly I had answers. That didn't happen. They had no more answers than they had before. Jesus' birth is not announced as good advice either. Advice is something for us to do. Advice is something that you take. It's not like they went to see the baby Jesus as, as some sage, right? And, and, he, and suddenly it's like, oh, I know what to do in my life. I know, what to, I know what next step to take. Here's the advice I need to take. That didn't happen. Jesus' birth is announced as good news. And what do you do with good news? Seriously, what do you do with good news? You, you celebrate it, Right? That's all you can do with good news. When you get good news in your life, you, you gather together with your family and your friends and you crack open a bottle of orange juice and you celebrate. That's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do with good news. And the shepherds in the story, we celebrate the shepherds in the story for no other reason than they dropped their agenda. They dropped what they were doing and took the time to actually go and celebrate Jesus. And the shepherds heard this eloquent message from the angels about the good news of Jesus, but everybody else heard the message from the shepherds, right? Who were probably not so eloquent in the way they talked. So I want to talk for a second about shepherds. I want you, you've you've probably read that passage a hundred times or you've heard it read to you throughout your life. Let me give you just a little bit of background on the shepherds and who they were and why, why this was significant, that the news of Jesus' birth, the good news, came to the shepherds first. They were the first people to hear... The, the heavenly announcement. Uh, shepherds at this time, in Judea especially, were some of the most impoverished people in the entire Roman kingdom, in the entire empire. At this time, the Romans were in charge in Judea. And so uh, many, there's quite a bit of writing that, that talks about the idea that shepherds at this time were mostly people who at one time had owned land of their own. They were Israelites who owned land. And for an Israelite, the land was everything. And so they had owned land, but what had happened is they got farther and farther behind on their taxes because Rome's taxes were so intense, and Herod uh, uh, taxed as well. And so people would get behind further and further and further on their taxes until eventually they would lose their land. Well, when you've lost your land, you can't farm, you can't, uh, you know, uh, raise animals. And if, even if you're a fisherman or whatever, you have nowhere to go. And so... What's the job that's available to you? Well, a shepherd, of course. That's the job that's available to you when you've lost everything. Because these were nomadic, basically homeless people. They had no land of their own. They had nowhere. So what they did is they made their living by traveling with the sheep. 
Usually the sheep were owned by someone else and you would hire out shepherds. They were some of the lowest people in society. They were some of the most looked down on of society. They smelled like sheep and they lived outside. That's literally how they were. And they traveled around with the sheep and that's how they made their living. And the, the news of God's salvation is here comes first to this group of people, to the shepherds. You think about that. I mean, it's not the Romans for us, right? Uh, but every single one of us knows what it feels like to be out of control of situations in our lives. Every one of us knows what it feels like to, to be in a situation or to be in an environment where we have no control over the outcome of our lives. Maybe your Rome, uh, as you think about this last year of your life, uh, maybe your Rome was the company that laid you off. Maybe your Rome was, uh, you know, the cancer diagnosis that came into your life. Uh, maybe your Rome is the legal system that awarded custody after the divorce. What, whatever it is, we all know what it feels like to be in situations we, where we are completely out of control and we have no say in the outcome of what's happening. And 2,000 years ago, some angels appear to a bunch of shepherds with the good news. And the good news is, guess what? Rome does not get the last word. There is a Savior that has been born. And that's good news. That's good news and that's worth celebrating. Now what's interesting is Jesus stays consistent with this message. So we're in the Gospel of Luke. If you go forward two chapters from where we are right now in Luke 2, in Luke chapter 4, you have Jesus. He comes back from the wilderness and he's beginning his public ministry. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath and he stands up and he opens the scroll uh, of Isaiah the prophet. And for us, what Jesus reads is in our Bibles, it's Isaiah chapter 61. These are the first public words Jesus said at his very first sermon, the first time he started his public ministry. He, he's reading a scripture that actually was a prophecy about himself in Isaiah 61. In Luke chapter 418, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to who? To the poor. Jesus says, do you want to know what I'm all about? You want to know why I'm here? I'll tell you why I'm here. As he starts his public ministry, he says, I'm here to preach good news to the poor. And any celebration of Jesus that seeks to honor him and put him first has to start with being good news to the poor. It was to the shepherds. It was good news to the, to the shepherds. It was good news to the poor. And Jesus said, my ministry, it begins... Uh, with being good news to the poor. This is why this time of year, one of the ways that we celebrate the birth of Christ is there are giving opportunities. You may have noticed this. There are lots more giving opportunities here. There are giving opportunities around our world. It's, it's because Jesus, the good news of Jesus was good news to the poor first and foremost. And this is the way we celebrate him. Now, this is an easy thing to celebrate, right? But you think about it, this is like a game seven kind of story. Those who are down on their luck, those who are in despair, those who are in poverty, they get some good news. That is, that's easy to celebrate. We can get excited about that, right? Deck the halls, you know, don some gay apparel, bring me some figgy pudding. I mean, we can get excited, we can get excited about that kind of news. Um, but, but if we really want to dig into what celebration actually is, uh, a lot of times we, we miss what it really is because we don't fully understand the concept of celebration. And so if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this statement down. 
I would say this, the opposite of celebration is not despair, it is entertainment. Believe it or not, the opposite of, of celebration is not despair, it's entertainment. People in despair are actually the ones that find it the easiest to celebrate. Did you, do you realize that? Jesus' news, the good news of Jesus' birth, was uh, first communicated to the poorest of the poor. And of course, it, it, when you're in despair, when you're in poverty, when you're down on your luck, when you're in a place where you're hopeless, and you get some good news, nobody has to tell you to celebrate, Right? You don't have to be, okay, here's your instructions. Here's how, how you need to celebrate. You just celebrate. You just go crazy. When you're in despair, people who are in despair actually find it the easiest to celebrate. It's not uh, despair that's the opposite of celebration. It's actually entertainment. Let me explain to you uh, what I mean by that. Two decades ago, the lives of millions of us here in America were changed when we went out and bought our first mobile phone. Remember the first mobile phones? Remember the little flip thing and the buttons and you'd text by like pushing buttons and stuff and it just would take forever? Uh, and then 10 years ago, one decade ago, the lives of millions of us were tr absolutely transformed when we went out and we bought our first smartphone. Ooh, ah! And with the advent of our smartphones, our lives were completely transformed. Um, according to some recent data, you will consult your phone about 80 times a day if you're like most Americans, or almost 2,400 times a month, resulting in about 30,000 times a year. Our phones have become our mailbox, our TV, our teacher, our consultant, photo album, newspaper, radio, roadmap, wristwatch, camera, board game, library, and party line, to just name a few. These phones have just become all-consuming. Admit it, when you misplace your phone somewhere, don't you have like a moment of panic? It's like, oh no, what do what I got to, everything stops in life until I find that phone. And so with the advent of the phone, of the, of the, um, the cell phone, what's happened is we've created a, a, a sense in our society where we no longer have to wait for anything because we can always be receiving something. At any moment, any time, I can always be receiving. I no longer have to wait. I no longer have to sit. I'm, I'm in the doctor's office waiting for my name to be called. Uh, you know, my head goes down, my phone comes out, and I disappear into it for a little while. And what we can constantly be receiving is entertainment. Constantly, we can be in a place where we're, we are receiving entertainment. And let me be really clear, entertainment is not bad. Well, some forms of entertainment are bad, right? But entertainment in itself is not a bad thing. But, but I want you to see the difference between celebration and entertainment. And if you can grasp it in your mind, I think, I think it'll start to make sense where we're trying to go with this sermon. Um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, one of my favorite uh, writers, was a Jewish rabbi, he wrote about celebration and entertainment. And um, he wrote these words, by the way, in 1965. So I just want to read you this quote. He said this, the man of our time is losing the power of celebration. Instead of celebrating, he seeks to be amused or entertained. Celebration is an active state, an act of expressing reverence or appreciation. To be entertained is a passive state. It is to receive pleasure afforded by an amusing act or a spectacle. Entertainment is a diversion, a distraction of the attention of the mind from the preoccupations of daily living. But celebration is a confrontation, giving attention to the transcendent meaning of one's actions. What uh, Heschel is trying to communicate there, if you can go to the next uh, screen, 
Um, what he's trying to communicate is, if you think about entertainment and celebration, and what's the difference? Entertainment is passive, is what he's saying there in, in, in that uh, quote. But celebration is active. Entertainment is something that you sit back and you receive. But celebration demands that you be engaged. It, it, it demands your participation. Celebration is something we have to actively get involved in. He goes on from there. Uh, in that passage, he also says, um, entertainment is distraction, but celebration is attentiveness. So entertainment is a way to sort of distract ourselves from our lives, to sort of disengage and be distracted, which again isn't always a bad thing. But if we're really understanding the difference, celebration should make you more attentive to what's happening in your life. Celebration should cause you to be more awake to the moment that you're living in, whereas entertainment allows you to distract from the moment that you're living in. And then uh, lastly, entertainment is often practiced alone. I, I can pick up my phone and disappear into it right now and ignore all of you if I want to. I, you can practice entertainment alone, but celebration is practiced in community. You really can't practice, you really can't celebrate by yourself fully. Um, that's why people want to go to the game and pay all the money and be in the environment. Now, what's inter interesting about these two things, entertainment and celebration, is both are very expensive. It costs a lot of money to do either one. But the difference is, especially when we think about celebration at Christmas and this time of year, uh, celebration oftentimes, uh, it's expensive because we're giving. We're becoming more involved in a moment, in a need that's happening in our world, in a thing that's happening. So oftentimes we're giving Entertainment oftentimes is spending, right? I'm spending money so I receive something in return for it. Both are expensive, but, but it depends on what you're doing with it that, that gives it a little bit different uh, emphasis. Go ahead to the next slide. When we don't pursue real celebration in our lives, what happens is we settle for entertainment. And, and please hear me, entertainment isn't always bad. But it's, but it's become sort of the all-consuming thing to the point where I think as a society, we, we've kind of forgotten or are losing track of what celebration actually is. And celebration is actually considered to be one of the spiritual disciplines. And, and one of the reasons for this is because celebration, when we engage with it, when we interact with it, it brings the greatest level of joy in our lives. When we don't pursue real celebration, what happens is we begin living a life where we're just sort of settling for constant entertainment. Instead of engaging in the moment I'm in and celebrating who God is in this moment and what God is doing in my life in this moment and engaging further into my relationships, engaging further into the world I live in, I'm backing away from it. I'm numbing out, I'm receiving something so I don't have to be engaged in what's happening around me. Entertainment, while it, I think it serves a purpose, oftentimes uh, it'll leave us unfulfilled. And so the question becomes, well, how do we pursue real celebration? Especially this time of year, you think about Christmas is a celebration. That's what you do with good news. You celebrate it. That's what the shepherds were commanded to do. That's what uh, everybody in the Christmas story, that's what it centered around was this celebration. That's what we're doing this time of year. So how do you pursue real celebration? I want to take you to a passage in Philippians where the writer Paul is talking to the church in Philippi because I think he gives such a great picture of how do we actually pursue real celebration. And uh, he starts this way, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll, I'll say it again. Rejoice. That sounds great, doesn't it? I'd like to do that. I'd, I'd like to rejoice in the Lord always. I'd, I'd love to always constantly be in this place where I'm rejoicing and thanking God. Uh, but the reality is that's not how I live my life. And notice it's rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in your circumstances or rejoice in your position in life or rejoice in what other people think of you or, or approve about you. It's rejoice in the Lord. So how do you do that? He goes on, do not be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we've talked about that first part of that passage many times. I've given entire sermons on those verses. If you have anxiety in your life, if, if something in your life is rising up and causing you all kinds of anxiety, uh, uh, Paul says, present your request to God. Bring your anxiety to God and in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's the first thing. He says, go and, and present your request to God, release your anxiety, offload your anxiety to God, and let him speak into the biggest burdens of your life. Let him speak into the challenges that you're having. And when you experience the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's an amazing thing. But what you have to realize is it's not enough to stop there. Paul says, if you really want to understand what it means to rejoice in the Lord, if you really want to understand what it means to actually find celebration and rejoicing, he says, what you have to do is you have to set your mind on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, admir admirable, and praiseworthy. The decision to set your mind on higher things is an act of the will. And, and that's why it's called uh, a spiritual discipline. Some of you, if you've grown up in church or if you've been following Jesus for a while, I bet you you've heard of the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Many of you have probably read it. And Richard Foster talks about celebration as kind of the final uh, of the spiritual disciplines. It's the one that kind of sums up all the other ones. If you're living the other ones, you, you have to be living celebration. And the reason that he calls it a, a spiritual discipline is because it's not something that falls on our heads. It's not something that just sort of happens in our lives. It's something we have to actually choose. It's the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and way of living in our lives. Think about it this way. Uh, my wife and I have four boys. And if I were to invite you to my son's birthday party, I would be inviting you to come and actually celebrate and then help to celebrate my son's birthday. That's what I would be inviting you to come and do. If you came to my son's birthday and about halfway through it, you came up to me and said, hey, Brian, I need to talk with you. Uh, I'm kind of bored, to be honest with you. I thought this was going to be a little more entertaining. I mean, I took some time out of my day. I came here and Frankly, I, I thought this was just going to, there's just going to be a, a few more things that would be exciting or interesting for me here. Uh, and so I, I'm just, I just need to let you know, I'm just a little bored here at your son's birthday party. You know what I'm going to say to you in that moment? I'm going to say, fine, leave then. Because <laughs> my interest at my son's birthday party is not entertaining my guests. My interest in my son's birthday party is celebrating my son. And if I've invited you to come to my son's birthday party, it's so you can help me celebrate 
my son. That's what you're there to do. That's why you've been invited. Listen to me carefully. If you think about Christmas this season, if you will concern yourself during this Christmas season with entertaining all the guests in your life, you're not going to be all that happy (laughs) at Christmas. You're going to be kind of a Grinch. But if you will concern yourself with celebrating the sun, joy will be yours. And there's a difference between celebration and entertainment. If, if, you're, if you think about even us at church, if you think about our Christmas services, what we're planning December 23rd, December 24th, uh, those services, and Brad was right, he was talking, we, we've, we've got some great things planned on that day. We're going to be set up in the round. Uh, we're actually going to have real candles for the first time. It's awesome. And um, we're going to try not to burn the place down. But uh, it's, it's going to be an amazing service. I hope you love it. I hope it's engaging. But here's the thing. For our Christmas service, I'm not all that concerned on whether you're entertained well or not. <laughs> you're being invited. Christmas is an invitation uh, from God to celebrate his son. And celebration isn't passive. You don't sit back and receive it. That's entertainment. Celebration is something you become awake to and you engage with it. So in these weeks leading up to Christmas, how do I engage more fully with my neighbors? How do I engage more fully with my family? How how do I celebrate the sun? How do I celebrate the goodness of what God's done in my life and what he wants to do in the future? How How do I become more engaged and more attentive and more awake? Celebration is a confrontation of what's happening in our world. It's stepping into the needs of our world. It's giving. That's what it is. Entertainment is passive. It's sitting back and saying, why, why isn't this more exciting to me? And, and, you've, and here's the thing. During this Christmas season, you'll have opportunities to do both. Which one are you going to make it about is the question. Today uh, is Baptism Sunday. And I, I wanted to, I was really excited to teach this content today because baptism is exactly, it's the perfect lived out illustration of what we've just been talking about this entire time. Baptism is a celebration of Jesus. It's a celebration of the Son. Every changed life is a celebration of what God can do and the fact that Jesus came to this earth and we have a Savior in him. So when, you know, when people get baptized, what's happening is they're engaging and identifying themselves with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we, we've talked about this before, and I want to be faithful to say this every time we get baptized. Baptism is a symbol. It's actually called a sacrament of the church. And the word sacrament means mystery. And um, baptism basically is this mysterious symbol that we interact with. It. Uh, Romans 6 talks about how just like Jesus died and was buried, when we go down in the water of baptism, what we're saying is, I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to my way of solving my own problems, of, of fixing myself. And just like Jesus rose from the grave to an eternal life, and, and we have this hope in him, when you come out of the water, it's a symbolic way of saying, uh, I'm living into this new life of Jesus. I'm setting my mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. I'm living into this new life of Christ. I've been redeemed. I've been uh, forgiven. And I'm living the life that Jesus has for me. So when people ask the question, can't I just go and sit by myself in my bathtub, uh, you know, in my house by myself, and then just sort of dunk my head under the water and baptize myself in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Isn't that good? Do I, do I have to come up here in front of a whole bunch of people? And the answer to that is no, you can't. Because that's not celebration. Celebration involves all of us. The way we talk about baptism is we refer, 
we often refer to it as going public for Jesus. That's what it is. It's, it's going public for, for Christ. It's engaging in front of your church community and, and proclaiming with, through this symbol of baptism that I've been made new. I've been bought again. I've been redeemed. And I have this new life in Christ. Um, people will say, ask questions oftentimes uh, when it's time for baptism. Is like, you know, does this mean I have to be perfect now? Or is this, is this saying to everybody that I'm perfect now and everything in my life is completely in order? No, it's not. If you wait until everything in your life is in perfect order and you're perfect and everything is perfect and your marriage is perfect and everything is perfect to get baptized, to get baptized and celebrate what God's done in your life, you may never get around to celebrating. Celebration is something we engage with now. It's, it's a way of saying, it's not about me being perfect. It's not about me having my life together. It's about me setting my mind, like Paul talks about, how do you celebrate? You set your mind on higher things. I'm living into this new life that God has for me. Baptism is not a finish line. Oh, I'm complete. I've got it all figured out now. Baptism is a starting line. It's a starting point. Saying publicly, I'm living into this new life that God has for me. And so um, I want to read to you a story because we need to celebrate. I wish I could tell you every story of every person getting baptized today. Um, but this is, a, this is a, a person who's getting baptized her name is Molly, and I'm just going to read you her story. She, let, she allowed me to, to have this and to read to you. And then uh, baptism is a time where we just go crazy. We lose our freaking minds when people get baptized. Why? Because what do you do with good news? You celebrate it. So this is Molly's story. She says this, One year ago, I came to Frontline after a tragic event to attend the more, memorial service of a friend, Corey Taphouse. When I sat in that service... I felt something that I hadn't felt in any other church. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I had to come back. Two weeks later, I had made the commitment to go on a Sunday service. That Sunday was a terrible snowstorm and attendance was very low, so there was no fading into the crowd. <laughs> I walked through the doors and instantly felt like I was meant to be there. I've never felt more welcome in any church. Everyone was excited to see me. I sat through the service on fighting for your family. Some of you remember that and cried for almost the whole sermon. My family was falling apart and beyond repair. I met at the orange wall and talked with Brad and Matt, who both took time to pray with me. I promised I would be back. I kept coming back every week. I brought my girls, Abby, six, and Lily, three, and they fell in love with the block. It was months of me just showing up every week while I continued to try to have a foot on both my path and God's intended path for me. I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in, I was fin finalizing my divorce, raising two girls, going to school, dealing with alcoholics in my family, and just feeling like the only place that accepted me was Frontline. When I hit my lowest point in March, I had to reach out for help, and Lori was there to catch me. Again, she took the time to get to know me, had the most perfect words of encouragement, and could really see the hurt in my heart. As I spoke with her one Sunday during the second service, through tears, I could feel something in my life changing. It was about a, a month later that I was crumbled on my bedroom floor, praying to God and asking him to fill my heart and to take away my pain. What happened next, I don't have words for. It was a transformation moment that has changed my life. I immediately started working hard to live inside God's will and feel more peace and love than ever. I've had ups and downs with staying my course and dealing with relationships, but Christ has been there to bring me back. The number of chances I've been given leaves me absolutely speechless. I am forgiven, and I am a child of God. 
I've been volunteering in the block and look forward to continuing to serve there. The blessings have multiplied since I joined Frontline. You need to hear this part. I grew up in a religion where I was baptized as a baby and we went to church every Sunday to basically check it off the list. I've never had the relationship that I have now with Jesus. I continue to recognize the Holy Spirit working in my life. I owe so much to the Frontline team and the community that's been built. I want to grow deeper still, and I'm so excited to see where my new life takes me. I can't wait to take that next step and let everyone know that I've been transformed. And Molly, we are so excited to celebrate baptism with you. Uh. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to move into a time of celebration as a church. And so... uh, we're, anybody who wants to get baptized in a moment, the band's um, going to sing a song, and we're going to all stand and sing. And if you're ready to get baptized, uh, you come and join us right down here on the floor, um, right in front, and uh, we'll baptize you. And here's the thing. This is a great one. This time of year, uh, we actually have uh, a lower number of baptisms than we often have, you know, right after Easter or some of these other times. So this is a perfect Sunday to get baptized. Um, we've got plenty of space for you to do that. And here's oftentimes what, what happens. We've learned that, that God sometimes stirs things in people's hearts. So even if you didn't sign up to be baptized, even if you didn't, you know, fill out the form and let us know, but you know God's tapping you on the shoulder. And you know, man, my, today's my day. Maybe you didn't come with a change of clothes. Maybe you didn't come ready to get baptized. Uh, I just want you to know we have towels. Here, I'll, I'll show you. We've got towels for anybody who wants to get baptized. And we've got everybody who gets baptized can have one of these shirts um, that I'm wearing. It just says made new. And I always say don't get baptized so you can get a free shirt, okay? We, I, do, I, I, don't, I hope I don't really need to say that, but I feel like I should every time. Um, but uh, you, we've got shirts basically because we want to give you something dry to walk home with if you weren't planning on it. Because what's important to us is celebration of changed life, of what Jesus can do in a life. And if you're ready and you know it's time for me to go public in my faith, maybe you say, man, but my life's not perfect yet. No, it's not. And join the club. None of us are. Baptism is a symbol where we're saying, I'm living into this new life that Jesus has for me. It's a starting line. Maybe you said, well, I was baptized as an infant, but then have walked away from God and have not lived for him. Uh, and it was a decision that was made for me. It was really never my decision as a follower of Jesus. And maybe you just say, today is the day I know I need to, for myself, a decision I'm making. Uh, it's time for me to get baptized. So this is your one and only call as we sing. We're not gonna, uh, you know, extend it out. If you're ready to get baptized, just join us down here. And um, we're going we're gonna to have a time of celebration. Would you stand up? Let us offer a prayer. Jesus, thank you for the power of the resurrection that we see in baptism. Thank you for the power that's unleashed in our lives because you came to this earth as a baby in a manger to live a life just as we live, to enter into our pain, enter into our brokenness, but then to offer yourself in a sacrificial death on the cross. Um, redeeming us, paying the price for, for what we could never satisfy within ourselves and fix within ourselves. And even better than that, you want to continue to walk with us. You want to continue to set us free. You want us to, to live into what it means to be a follower of you. And so, God, we have so much to celebrate this morning, and we're grateful for you, for who you are. And so, God, we thank you for those who are getting baptized, and uh, we just celebrate with them today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, <clears throat>